the best rugby insight and analysis. OTB Sports Rugby. When you watch a guy, Ger, standing on the sideline counting players with his fingers, you know this is bullshit. Probably the greatest ever victory for Ireland. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Delighted to welcome Clive Allen to the show to look ahead to the new Premier League season. Clive, how are you getting on? I'm good, thank you. Good morning. We've had a couple of Tottenham Hotspur fans on the show already this morning. They were reminiscing in your glory days as a forward, a goal-scoring forward. Could I just ask, first off, Clive, if you were playing in the modern game, how do you think you would fare, just given the way goal-scoring has become shared so much between uh, a front two, a front three, uh, quite often? Well, I do think the um, the art of the uh, goal score is dying in respect, as you say, of sharing the goals around. Perhaps uh, Harry Kane, a prime example of that, fantastic goal scorer, but will develop play deeper down the field. Um, and so I, I think that's just part and parcel of the modern game. Um, I, I would just like to think I'd be in the right place at the right time and, and, and continue to score goals, which is which is what win games in the end. In the end. It's going to be a really interesting case study this season, isn't it, with regards to Erling Haaland, where the possibly the most high-profile signing of the entire summer window is a centre-forward in the more traditional mould. And what we expect Erling Haaland to do is to score goals, and lots of them. It is a little bit of a throwback, isn't it? I, I, I believe it is, and I think that it was what... If there was something missing from, from Manchester City, hence their interest in Harry Kane last summer, um, adding... Um, Harlan this summer I think is a is a man, magnificent coup. Just 22 years of age, he is the uh, atypical centre forward. Scores goals will give Manchester City a new dimension this year. It just might take time for them to adjust to the way he plays, and obviously the way that they played and won the uh, Premier League last year. What sort of adjustments does he need to make? Because it, it seemed if we're getting carried away on the Community Shield, there might be a little bit of a betting in process. Yeah, I think he's going to have to be patient because I think sometimes he will expect the delivery of the ball and it might not come because of the way City dominate possession, especially in the midfield area. Um, but I think if he keeps making those runs with the, with the quality that they have within that City midfield, uh, De Bruyne in particular, uh, they will start to find him, pick his runs. We saw that with Grealish um, providing for him in the uh, the winning goal he scored against Bayern Munich in the recent um, uh, pre-season game so it, it, it's going to take time to develop but there's no doubt that uh, I think he'll be a big star for Man City He, he does have all the attributes to succeed in the, in the Premier League it seems is, is there anything at all about him that, that would concern you in terms of how quickly he might get up to speed? Well I think it will be that he, need, he needs to be patient okay. he needs to understand that it will take a little time um, and, but I think that he, he, you know, he seems to have an old head on young shoulders um, and he'll adapt. He looks very, very determined and excited about joining City. Um, and I think it will pay dividends over the course of the season. Uh, we've asked you before coming on air to, to pick your top four and your bottom three. So what we might do, Clive, is just get your top four first and, and go through them. So so who are you looking at this season as uh, number one to number four? Well, uh, I, I think a lot of people will agree. Um, City, for me, will win it again. And I think that the addition of Haaland is, 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 a, is a good one. It's, it's made them even stronger, which uh, was difficult to do. I think Liverpool looked fantastic, especially last weekend. It looks as if they're going to hit the ground running. They will run City very, very close. Um, I think that the, uh, the the addition of Nunes, uh, their front line, obviously, um, you know, they're... they're 
it's a work in progress at Liverpool in that Klopp seems to be able to change players around but still get the right results. I think, um, you know, Van Dijk back in regularly at the heart of the defence has made them rock solid defensively. We know they can score goals. So I see Liverpool running Man City very close again. I think from then on down, it's very, very interesting because of the way things are unfolding. I think Spurs have done fantastic business in the summer and they've done it early, which is unusual for them. I think that Conti's stamped his mark on the, on the team. The way they finished last season was really impressive. Qualified for the Champions League. To take that on, he needed addition in players, a, a strength in the squad, which they've done. So I, I'm going to go Spurs third and Chelsea fourth. I think Chelsea, again, in a little bit of turmoil because of the changes, not necessarily um, uh, with the team, but but certainly uh, behind the scenes with the ownership, etc. But I think that Tuchel has had to um, make some signings because of losing perhaps a whole defensive line. So Koubali coming in is going to be a, a really interesting one to watch as to how he adapts to Premier League football. Fantastic defender, but he will find it difficult, I believe. And Chelsea, again, because of the, the addition, Raheem Sterling arriving, the, the changes that they've made, um, it will take them a little while, I think, to, to reassemble their, their authority that they had last season. So I'm going for Chelsea fourth. Is there a chance that Tottenham actually push on and and give Liverpool and Manchester City calls to look over their shoulder at this season? Well, I think they've got they've got some strength in depth now and I think that will be um advantageous as the season unfolds. Obviously they're going to be in the Champions League, which was uh, which was definitely the goal the end of last season was finishing fourth, qualified for the Champions League. So that brings its demands and uh, and it is a, a squad that is is just come together in terms of the numbers. It's going to be um, fascinating how uh, Conti juggles that squad, interchanges the players. I think that he's he's added really well in the departments that needed strengthening. So, um, yeah, I think if Spurs get off to a good start and carry the confidence they had from the end of last season into this, they could well be closer than, than, uh, than any teams to uh, City and Liverpool. It does feel that there's genuine optimism around the club that the success that they saw at the end of last season could be sustainable in the long term. I, I guess the one caveat to that is the man who's brought that sustainable looking level of success is Antonio Conte, who is very rarely attached with the idea of sustainability. The, his entire track record suggests a short term fix. Well, that's right. He, he he demands success. He wants success, and if he doesn't get it, he uh, he leave, he leaves what 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 he's done. He, he's quite happy to um, uh, to move on, and I think we've we've seen that with with the jobs he's had, with the success he's achieved. Um, he goes about it in his own style. Um, he certainly he's certainly not changed that approach in the way that he's uh, what he's brought to Spurs. So, um, you know, again, it. it Time will tell, but I do think that certainly the direction is going um, perfectly for Spurs at the moment. Their, their intention was to to bring him in to qualify for Champions League. That was achieved. So the next step is now in front of them. So Clive, you're looking at Spurs as the, the top team in London this year and you have Chelsea next. Do you see Arsenal being far off this year? Because there seems to be optimism around maybe some of their... Uh, pre-season recruitment that they might be closer like in, in your eyes do you think that's feasible uh, yes I do I think it is I think that um, you know they, they were in pole position last season to qualify for Champions League um, and I think maybe just the uh, I think the the age of the squad 
um, come to bear at the end where there was a big game, a massive game at Spurs, which they lost. And from there, they never really recovered. I think the additions of uh, Shinjenko and uh, Jesus, um, obviously coming from City, they know how to win. They know what it took to win. Um, and they will bring that to this Arsenal squad. I think it's a talented squad. Again, I think Arteta's got a difficult job in the way that, that he manages that squad this season. The expectation will, will de- certainly be that they, they could be contenders for the top four. Um, I would have them chasing Chelsea uh, close in fifth. What's your opinion on Gabriel Jesus? Um, I think he, I, th- I think he needed the move. If I'm perfectly honest, I think that at City, um, it just seemed to me that he, he had he had to have three or four chances to score the one goal. Um, and I just think perhaps now where he becomes number one or the number one striker at Arsenal, that um, he can relax a little bit in front of goal. Um, Arsenal will create chances, will give him opportunities. And I, th- I can see him flourishing for, for Arsenal. I think it's a good move for him and, and it's certainly a good acquisition for Arsenal. It's always interesting, Clive, um, before we talk to you about which, uh, which club we focus on. With, with Arsenal, and when we ask you about Arsenal, what, what sort of memories does that evoke for you? Is this, is it a, a sort of strange thing to kind of be kind of uh, attached to the, to the club still, given how it all went for you? Or, or how do you feel about your time at Arsenal? Well, I was 18. It was, um, it was an incredible period of my career, obviously. I was very young. Um, first million pound transfer for a teenager that weighed heavily on my shoulders um, and I lasted just 63 days I, I played for Arsenal for 63 days two and a half pre-season friendlies so not really a game a competitive game um, I always said I grew up I grew up in that that summer of uh, 1980 very very quickly um, and I, I have to say it set me on my way it was um, it was bizarre um, looking back on it now people say what what happened and and it was it was quite incredible but um no arsenal have been very very successful um obviously under arsene wenger quite you know invincible at times and their football was magnificent um you know historic football club fantastic football club and i you know i'm proud to say that i actually uh, i actually was an arsenal player very briefly why did they get rid of you um it was a case of um uh, supply and demand really Sammy Nelson, the left-back, uh, picked up a bad knee injury in pre-season. They needed a left-back. Kenny Sanson was the man that they wanted. The only way that that deal could be done was that um, if they traded me, Terry Venables wanted me to go to Palace, and that was the only way he would let Kenny Sanson go. So, um, yeah, it was quite crazy, but um, obviously it's all history now. I, I, like, I'm not an economist, but I would assume getting rid of a, a £1 million teenager after such a short period of time isn't exactly great business. Um, well, that, I think they will. They, they would say Kenny was a magnificent sure. servant for Arsenal, brilliant left back over the years, and they felt that that was their priority. Like it's, uh, it didn't work out too badly for you in the long run. Like if, if we were to pick a point where your career peaked, Clive, are we talking eighty six, eighty seven, the, the forty nine goals? I mean, statistically, it sticks out uh, off, off your stat sheet so, so brilliantly. Is, is that what felt like your best football as well? Yeah, absolutely. It was a magnificent team. You know, when you're playing with uh, the, the likes of uh, Ozzy Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle, Chris Waddle, my cousin Paul was there. Um, we played in a style that um, certainly suited me. People said, "Oh, you played up up, up front on your own." That, that was that was never really the case because of the, the quality of the players, the interplay, the movement that we had. Um, so yeah, without a doubt, that was the best period of my career. Magnificent season. Um, one that you know um, I'd probably be remembered for 49 goals in the season it's not bad 
Uh, absolutely not. Uh, for people who didn't see much of that team, can you talk to us a little bit about how yourself, Hoddle and Waddle all played together? Yeah, it was very interesting. David Pleat came up with the idea with the players that we had at our disposal. And, and basically, it was a five-man midfield, which no one had ever deployed before. And it meant that Glenn was the free player. The way that we passed the ball short into passing, Glenn became a free player. We overloaded midfield. And teams just didn't know how to deal with it. Traditional 4-4-2 opponents, they found that we just kept the ball. We we certainly passed the ball well with the ability that they had. Um, and when you've got, you know, Chris Waddle's ability off the flank, Glenn Hoddle's passing, Ozzy Ardiles, my cousin Paul off the right, I got chance after chance playing in that way. And um, teams found it very difficult to to combat what we were doing. Yeah, and, you went, and you went to France then, which is sort of... Um... Like, I suppose we're so used now to like the Premier League is the hub for everywhere like the the power of the Premier League it's everyone from around the world is sort of it seems like that's their intended destination but it would surprise people now that there was actually an exodus from English football in that period of time that there was it wasn't just you there was a sort of a spate of really high profile English players or English based players who who went abroad at that point yeah that's right I think uh, you know um, just following me Glenn Glenn Hoddle, um, Mark Haitley went to Monaco. Mo Johnson went to play at Nantes. There was players who were uh, playing in, in Italy, Germany. Um, and it was something that I think, um, you know, there, there was, it was, it, it was, it was pretty new at the time because, um, you know, some of the Italian football probably was the, was the most powerful at that particular time. So that was, that was a destination for, for the best players in the world. Uh, French football was, was very interesting multinational lots of uh, you know there were there was there was players from all over the world playing in French football and I was given the opportunity I, I went out of contract at Spurs and was given the opportunity I was 28 and I, I'd always had that ambition to play abroad at some stage in my career and I had to do it then that was a position I was in and um, I went to Bordeaux Bordeaux were a very powerful side in, in French football at that time and a magnificent experience you know I sit here today and I've always said um, I wouldn't have wanted to sit and regret that I didn't take that opportunity uh, um, at that stage of my career. How much success did you have that season in Bordeaux? Um, I finished I finished top scorer for Bordeaux. We 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 went to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup, lost to Diego Maradona's Napoli, who went on to win it. Um, we finished third in the league, which was disappointing for, for for Bordeaux. We had a disastrous cup exit third round against Beauvais, who were a third division side. So um, that was that was very disappointing. But um, played with Jean Tigana, a magnificent uh, magnificent captain. Uh, Enzo Schifo, Belgium midfield player, who was a, a wonderful technician, and um, the infamous Eric Cantona as well. The last three months of my my time at Bordeaux, Eric came and played, and I played with Eric when he was very young, enfant terrible, but uh, an unbelievable talent. Did you know how good he was going to be? Um, I would say no at that time, but you could see that he had a real presence uh, about him, confidence, um, undoubted ability. Um, and obviously it wasn't until a number of years later that he, he turned up at Leeds and then then Manchester United that, um, you know, I think Eric fulfilled all, all the potential that um, that they thought that he had. Did he wear the collars up in the Bordeaux shirt? He certainly did. He nice. certainly did, yeah. He he um he wasn't shy, was Eric. <laughs> so am I right in saying that you would have played at the San Paolo with Maradona in the side? What 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 was that experience like? Well, quite incredible. Um that you know, that was a Napoli team that basically 
Maradona picked up by the by the coattails and 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 took them to the Scudetta, um, the uh, the UEFA UEFA uh, Cup, and um, yeah, he was um, he was extraordinary. I had the pleasure of playing with him at Spurs in Aussie's testimonial a few years later, and um, you know he was the best player in the world at the time, and and him and Glenn Hoddle were were just on another level when when they played together that night. So um, yeah, it was very. Uh, very, very fortunate to have played on the same field as Diego, played against him and played with him. Was it just electric when he got the ball in front of those it, it, Napoli fans? Yeah, it, yeah. it was just sensational. Um, the, 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 just everything that he did, it was, it was so natural, it was so easy for him. He was so quick, um, technically, uh, uh, technically a player that um, I'd never come up against or never seen before. It was quite extraordinary. Like It, it does sound like uh, one of the more fascinating periods of your career, Clive, even though everybody remembers you know, the 49-goal season for Tottenham. And like, I wonder if, if you're talking to any young footballers at the moment in England. I, I presume you'd advise a lot of them to, to go and experience other leagues if they ever get the opportunity. It, it's just the problem is you can sometimes be a victim of your own success where the Premier League has all the money right now and you'll rarely get that opportunity if, if you're any good. Yeah, that's right. I think, um, you know, I, I certainly um, enjoyed that experience. I'm glad, glad that I, I went through it. I now cover, um, obviously, French football for, for BT now. And it's something that, I, you know, I have an understanding and feeling for having experienced it. But I think for any any young player, especially if they, they perhaps don't make the progression that they hope to earlier on in their career, to give them the opportunity to go and experience foreign country, um, a different style of football, I, I think that just develops them, not only as footballers, but as people as well. And um, I think that you would find that a, a lot of players will flourish if if, uh, if they took that opportunity, if it was presented to them. Because just looking, Clive, I mean, it is 30 years this year since the Premier League, you know, since the, the, the transition to sort of the Premier League era. I was looking, you you played at West Ham, you got promoted that season. You're sort of in the, in the second tier. I'm That's just wondering, right. like, did, did you have a sense then of how the Premier League was going to explode. Because I've been looking at it the last week. You were looking at a lot of the games and of the 22 players on the pitch, you might have like 22 English players or Scottish players or you know players from this part of the world. Um, was there any sense then at that time that the game was about to change so, so dramatically in England? No, I don't think there was. I think that it was, it, it was obviously a progression. It was a new era, but I don't think anybody had the, the, the real inclination or, or belief that it, it could become what it is today. It is the toughest league in the world. I think the, the, the globally now you can go anywhere in the world and, and, and they love the Premier League. They love the competition. They, they, they love the way that the, the entertains. It, it never ceases to amaze into what it produces. Um, and it's grown to something that's quite extraordinary. Um, yeah, I did play in the Premier League, five Premier League games right at the very start. Um, and I'm proud to say that I did because, uh, you know, the Premier League is, is the best league in the world and, and it will attract the best players. And, and, and I think that really is why it is so special. Uh, just one last thing before we let you go, Clive. We also asked you for who you think are going to get relegated from the Premier League this season. So who are your bottom three, do you think? Well, this is a tough one because I think, um, you know, that, that for me, there's a big divide in the, in the Premier League. I think we, we can look at you know, potential top 10 teams. And I think we'll, we'll pretty much get all of those, I think. And then there's, there's 10 at the, in the bottom half that are going to be scrapping for a lot of the season. I think it's going to be very close, a close run thing. Uh, for me, I think Bournemouth are going to finish bottom. They're going to struggle. 
Um, I know Scotty Parker worked with him at, at Spurs, did a great job to get Bournemouth up, but I think they're going to find it very difficult. Um, and I'm looking at what I saw last season. Um, Brentford, for me, I saw them play at Spurs towards the end of last season, thought they were very disappointing. It is going to be their second season in the Premier League. I think that clubs are going to be far more aware of what they do, how they do it. Losing Ericsson, I think it could be a massive blow to them in terms of how their season unfolds. So I'm going Brentford second bottom. And for me, Southampton, I thought Southampton had a really awful finish to last season. They need to to get up and running quickly because if not, I think it's going to be a very difficult season for Southampton. And I'm going for Southampton to, uh, to go as the third team. Okay, very good. Clive, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show this morning. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 